0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We've been in a series called Can I Get a Witness? And, uh, you know, a testimony is basically you telling what God has done in your life, right? You're just sharing your story that God has written. And the thing about, I was talking to Terry about this earlier this week. The thing about every true uh, testimony of a disciple is this. They have two components. Number one, I'm weak. I failed. I rebelled. I needed a savior. Every single testimony says that. And the second one is, but I saw the savior and I came to the savior. He accepted me. And forgave me of my sin, filled me with his Holy Spirit, and has given me a new life to live. And that's what we're going to be, these four ladies are going to be sharing this morning. And we're going to watch uh, four video clips, one at a time. We'll watch one. uh, Pastor Terry will interview. We'll watch another. But I'm really excited about this. So let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to do his work through uh, our testimonies. That he would be the one that ultimately is seen as the glorious one. Okay, let's pray. Father once again uh, we are acknowledging our need for you. We praise you that you opened our eyes to see that we need to be brought back to you. And the way that uh, what's been between us was our sin and our rebellion and yet you chased after us. You got our attention, you drew us to yourself and you said, "I'll forgive you of everything. If you'll just come home." And by your gift, by your kindness, by your grace, We received you, Lord, those of us who have put our faith in you. So I pray that that truth will come out this morning. I pray that you would uh, help these ladies to um, speak boldly of what you have done in their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, I am Asheville native, so born here. My parents were together up until early childhood. Before middle school. From my memory quite a volatile home. We lived near my grandparents and when my grandmother died I was in sixth grade so I moved in with my granddad. We were not a church-going family um, but I had the privilege I lived across the street from two churches. I remember having the desire to go and ask my granddad if he would walk me across. They actually did an invitation, presented the gospel, and I knew Jesus was calling me. I didn't understand completely all what that meant, but I did recognize that I was a sinner, and I needed a savior, and accepted Christ that summer. By high school, my sister was living elsewhere. My father had taken a job maybe an hour and a half away, and my mom was living locally, but separate from us as well. So we were all disbanded uh, and and. I played three season sports. By 11th grade, I opted to stop so I could work. During the process of work, um, I met a young man that um, pursued me. We started dating. We dated through high school. And I thought he was a Christian. And after I graduated, we got married. One of the things when I met my to-be husband at the time that really struck me was that their family seemed normal and that um, his parents were still together and um, wanted different for my marriage. I didn't want the brokenness that I had experienced in my family. But the first year into our marriage, I recognized pretty quickly that um, there was something different and I couldn't pinpoint what it was, but I knew there was a problem. My husband would say, I am the problem, I'm the one that needs to be fixed. There was a change in his behaviors. He became very cold, very distant, very mean, disengaged, drinking, being gone all night, these kinds of behaviors. It was a slow progression and I didn't realize um, the verbal abuse that was going on. He made a comment out loud, the person of Jesus Christ comes between us. We were married for 25 years, had three children. Fast forward to the 25th year and he decided he wasn't happy and he needed to go leave to go be happy. So he did that. I lost marriage, home, income. It just rocked our world. I remember after our separation for about two and a half years, I just cried, I was broken. Um, God really got me to the end of myself. The Lord would wake me up um, around 3, 3.30 almost every morning for not less than two years, almost every day. And I would literally get out of the bed, get on the floor, on my knees, and just pour out to Him. Um, My prayer became, instead of, Lord, convict him, as the Lord was healing my heart, it became, Lord, pour out your compassion and draw him. Any hurt and anger began to dissipate. My heart became very tender. It just became a great time of healing for both my daughter, who was still at home, and and I. It was my desire from then, to not slander, uh, to not know what he was doing more than I had to that was pertaining to our children. Um, we never yet have all five been in the same room since then. To have a conversation, it, it just would not allow it. It has taken almost the full five years that it's been since that day to regain my voice, to speak. I just didn't know how to interact in social circles because I had been isolated, essentially not just in my marriage, but early on as a child too. And I remember one day, my boss, we were going from um, building to building, and he was ahead of me and he held the door open. I went home that night and I just cried because of that, because I didn't know how to handle the kindness. and. Um, in an age where we talk about worry and anxiety a lot, I have found that I have so much peace that it is unexplainable except for the Spirit of God. So in my situation, it's not something that I desired uh, and I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't change it because it has draw me to the Lord in a way that I wouldn't have
2: been otherwise. Don, thank you for sharing your story with us. I'm supposed to interview without crying now, I think, is how, how this is supposed to work. Um, so I'll do, I'll do the best I can. Um, thank you for being vulnerable with us. Um, God's been faithful. Amen. So I'm going to ask um, these ladies some questions that maybe you have in your mind. I try to think, okay, what would, what would I want to know out of that? And maybe um, you all have some, some words to give to our folks here kind of out of your journey. So maybe those questions will, will help in that, in that way. Um, Don, you mentioned the, um, not wanting to know what was going on in your husband's life. After he left, um, not, needing, not wanting to know more than you needed to know uh, to deal with your kids. Can you uh, explain that a little bit and talk about your thought behind that?
1: Sure. Um, I'm reminded of the verse that says, Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I remember um, after the separation, um, there was just a lot going on. If you look, we don't always know what's going on on the other side. We see what we see, which is very limited. And um, we were, uh, my children and I were hurting very much, um, and life had changed, resources had changed, things like that, and um, it was important for me to just not focus on the circumstances around me, Mm -hmm. but to focus on what Christ had before me. And at that point in time, um, my job was to then become single mom, because he was not involved. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a kind of a shared thing, really, in our situation. And so um, I think if I had been concerned about what was going on, what he was doing, who he was doing it with, or Mm -hmm. whatever, it would cause more concern for worry on my part for himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also it could cause anger, frustration, Mm -hmm. when our kids are being neglected, for example, and resources being spent in frivolous ways. Sure. That type of thing. Sure. Uh, but mostly for protection of my heart and my faults. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You mentioned um, your kids in there. How did you help them kind of walk through this this situation? Um, so as much as was
1: possible, yeah. I tried to keep our home life normal in the sense of um, we continue to stay involved with our church family as much as possible. I kept them in youth group. I kept their readers informed. I let them know that, this was not something that they have caused was not their fault, so yeah. that they didn't feel the, the you know the weight of that that maybe mm. they had done something or they could have done something different mm-hmm. yeah, um, and also just encourage them that we were going to be okay because of god's promises. He takes care of his children he does in yeah. all circumstances, so no matter what's going on around us, um, God provided everything we need yeah. And put people around us that loved on us as
2: well. Yeah, thank God for that for his for his family. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You um, speaking of his family, you know, with uh, Reach Life, we're pretty kind of we're integrated into one another's lives, and we talk about being in each other's lives. um, But you talked about coming from a background, an environment where there was lots of social isolation, and you had trouble, you know, even receiving kindness Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. How, how does that work within your life? And maybe you would have some words of wisdom or encouragement for folks here who are maybe coming out of a season of isolation in their own lives, mm-hmm. and now they're sitting in a church environment where everybody says, hey, be part of one another's lives. That can be difficult. It can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. What, what would you say to that?
1: Being vulnerable can be very difficult. And for me, um, because of a lot of things that had come my way um, in life, I felt expendable. I felt Mm. um, unworthy. Um, But that's not what God says who we are. Mm. Mm. And um, as I began more and more to realize my worth in Christ and not what people around me said, um, I remember reading a a, a sentence that said, you are worth Jesus to God. And that just struck me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's the gospel, isn't it? I am worth
1: Jesus to God, and yeah. um, so I would encourage people to um, go to um, someone in the church that uh, a safe place. I pray that our church is a safe place. I feel like it is here. Mm-hmm. Go to leaders. Women find a, a lady. Men find a man, a man that can mentor you, and. If on the first round, maybe you don't feel like you got the support you needed, don't quit. That's kind of what happened to me, yeah, yeah. is that I thought, well, I didn't get result. I guess this is how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, continue, uh, because there are people, we're all broken. We don't mm-hmm. intend to not fulfill what other people need or you know mm-hmm. meet their needs, but we're broken. Yeah. You know, Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And so we're going <laughs> to let each other down. I'm going to let you down eventually. I don't intend to. But I would say, reach out to those uh, mm. that are
2: in leadership. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, gospel-centered response, yes. beautiful, beautiful. Um, l- last question, and I'll let you off the hot seat. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you um, kind of indicated that there was this real cycle of uh, verbal and psychological abuse and manipulation, and I think it's important for us to realize that. It doesn't have to be physical, verbal, and psychological abuse to be actual abuse. Um, so, But you you mentioned that there's a cycle of that in your life. But what I hear pouring out of you is a trust in Jesus. So you've got all these people uh, being abusive in various ways, to, but Jesus is different than the people who are abusive to you. So, in, in, in your heart and mind, what's different about Jesus? Why do you cling to him so tightly when people are being abusive to you?
1: Um, Jesus came into my life, as the video said, when I was a child. And though I didn't know, I, wasn't, I didn't understand that until some of that until later on. I always knew um, the truth that he sacrificed his life for me. Mm-hmm. And. <clears throat> that sacrifices what I was looking for in, in, in other ways with parents, with spouse, with whatever, when I didn't feel like that was true. And so he gave me a regenerate heart. He gave me new life. I understood then um, I had spiritual discernment. I was able to know who he was mm-hmm. as a person, as someone intimate with me versus just knowing about him. Yeah. And so that's all the difference.
2: Right, right. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Next we have uh, Kelly Nysong's testimony.
3: When I was a freshman in college, I met James and he was a sophomore. To be honest with you, I couldn't stand him. (laughs) He was either extremely goofy or extremely theological. Um, There was no in-between. And it wasn't until um, my junior year, we ended up in the same psychology class. The teacher actually, the first day, he wanted to get the students and put a name with a face, so he brought us up in twos and took a Polaroid picture of us. James wrapped his arm around me, and the whole class just busted out laughing. And I knew then that this was going to be an interesting semester. As the semester proceeded, I was actually close to failing and thinking about dropping the class, and James graciously comes in and goes, I will help you study. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's worth it, I can do this. As we were studying, I realized that James truly and genuinely loved Jesus. He wanted to ask me questions. He wanted to talk about what I thought about things in the Word of God. I was very impressed by that and so I quickly fell in love with him and by the end of the semester we started dating and we got married during my spring break. The next eight months was quite intense and I could tell that James just didn't seem himself. James started telling me that he really believed the church has gone apostate, and he did not want us to attend, and that he was really struggling with his salvation and really wanted to seek true salvation. So he was gonna go and do whatever it took to make sure. And the next few weeks were very difficult. I had to make the decision whether I was gonna submit to God or to James. And so three much cancel, prayer, and reading in the Word of God what to do, I decided I needed to separate. Ultimately, I wanted our marriage to eventually be restored and James to be healed. And on top of all of this, I was actually pregnant with our first child. It came close to Joshua um, being delivered and James came back into town for the delivery and decided to move back home. But within two months, since nothing was dealt with, James actually moved quite far away out west. And during that time, I got into the Word of God like I had never before. And I remember one specific evening, my dad encouraged me to go to John 15 and to study it, not just read it, but to actually study it and meditate on it. And so I read it over and over for several days. And I remember one evening when I read the part that said, I am the vine, Jesus is the vine and you are the branches and he that abides in me bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. I realized that I was trying to do all of this on my own strength and that the Holy Spirit needed to help me and do it through me. And When I really got that, a weight just lifted up off of me and I was able to lay James at Jesus' feet and allow him to take what was so broken. And let him take care of James. There's nothing else I could do. James actually came to the end of himself. He had tried everything to make God happy. He tried losing his wife, his child, his possessions, and he knew there was nothing else he could do. And after two months, he asked me to consider moving back home with him. And he had told me that we could go to church, that I could take Joshua to church, and that. He wouldn't try to convince me of anything that he was done doing that and that he just wanted to be married again. He just wanted to be a married couple. In the first Sunday we were back in Asheville, I got ready for church and James went with us. And (laughs) he never stopped going with us. As James and I talk about our past together, 25 years later. He always tells me that me leaving him actually was grace. It actually helped him in the long run. Our marriage was done. Everybody thought so. No one had hope for it but God. He came in and showed us what it meant to abide in him. He showed us what it meant to love each other as he has loved us. Over time, we fell in love with each other, we fell in love with the church for the first time, and we can help others when they're going through separation. It's a beautiful thing when God allows us to go through these trials. I realize that nothing is impossible for God to heal. If we will just bring it to Him and lay it at His feet and abide in Him.
2: appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord, Kelly. Um, you, uh, you mentioned, um, and, and I think James mentioned it in his testimony last week, that your separation from him was grace. Um, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people counseling you to maybe divorce James at the time, or you could have um, taken the opposite approach and said, well, I'll just kind of just suck it up and deal with it. Um, You could have taken either one. How did you discern what to do um, at that time? How did you navigate that for yourself?
3: Um, Through much prayer. I think prayer was um, one of the biggest things as well as comparing the advice that I was given to the Word of God. Um, Those were the two key things. And God, um, thankfully, he brought a godly mentor into my life, and I would meet with her weekly and she, I knew, she knew that the best thing for us to do was to separate. Um, but you could tell she also knew that God could do anything. Mm-hmm. You could reconcile anything. So we would get down on our knees and pray for James. Um, we would pray for him and we would open the word together. And we would look at uh, verses about marriage and what is my place right now in this season of life. What is my place um, in regards to what the Bible says about marriage mm-hmm. um, to James at that time. And so when I compared her encouragement and the word when I compared it to the word of God, it always matched. Mm-hmm. Um, now, other people on the other hand that love me dearly um, and that were they saw me hurting, they saw me alone, um, they saw that they wanted me to be happy, they wanted me to be taken care yeah. of. James had left the state, so well-meaning, they said I needed to consider divorce at this time. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at it and I saw, well, James, is he's seeking a relationship with Jesus. It's not like he's seeking a relationship with someone else mm-hmm. or being unfaithful. So I saw, okay, this doesn't match the Word of God. So I discerned that through looking at the Word of God. So that is um, how I did it. Was anything any advice I was given? I would always look at the Word of God and say, "Okay, does this match?" Mm-hmm. And then, um, God would always give me wisdom, yeah. you know, which one to to go with.
2: Cool. And what about um, I guess uh, in culture, maybe even within the church, I'm sure within the church, we have different views of why someone would separate. I mean, what would be? What was your particular motivation? What What did you want to the outcome to be? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you were thinking if I, if I divorce, this happens, if I just live with it, this happens. But if I separate, this is what I want the outcome to be. What, what was your desire for that?
3: Well, in the beginning, I, um, James was hurting and he was trying to figure out and process all these feelings he was having towards a church to, for salvation. And so I was actually given the advice at first to, uh, process it with him, you know, and, and agree to not go to church for a few weeks and just process it with him and listen to him. And so in doing that, I was able to understand where he was coming from. Um, I understood the struggle of um, seeing my own life and seeing how I was more passionate about sports or uh, shopping or things. I was more passionate about those things than God. And so I understood where he was coming from, and he had been dealing with it forever. Um, And so it helped me to understand that... The more I didn't go to church church with him by the second or third week, I could see he was getting more strength to actually go away from the church Mm -hmm. with me being Mm -hmm. with him. He got Mm -hmm. excited that I was with him. um, And I saw that if I stay with him, we're going to go down this dark path of of deception. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that. But my main motivation was I knew that I couldn't be disobedient to God. I knew that God has never called his children to abandon the church never Mm -hmm. even all of its messiness and sin um he has never called his children to abandon the church so i knew i couldn't do that and in staying with james i wouldn't be doing that yeah and so um my my main goal in the end though was not separation for divorce it was separation for reconciliation Mm -hmm. i was hoping it would be used to awaken james and to stir him um, to the truth, you know, to hopefully guide him to the truth and yeah. process that.
2: So, um, so when would you? This is a broad question. When would you encourage someone to separate from their spouse? It's a tough. Yeah. <laughs> are there like markers where people should start yeah. maybe praying about that? Or
3: yeah, I take that very seriously, and I would be yeah. very slow to move to that. Um, now, if there was physical abuse, I would. Um, pretty automatically say you need to get to a safe place and let's get help for your husband. Yeah. But if it's uh, verbal, as you had mentioned earlier, or um, spiritual or mental abuse, or even if your husband's asking you to do something that is contrary to what God teaches, then I would take steps with that person. I would say, let's look in the Word of God at what it says. Let's go right to the Word. And and then I would probably encourage them most likely to go to a biblical counselor and help mm-hmm. them um, process that with a biblical counselor and get help. Now, if the husband wasn't willing to see it or change, then I might would suggest you know that you might want to consider separation. If this was a pattern, mm-hmm. a pattern where the person was getting worn down, where the person was being affected um, sure. in a bad, bad way, but again, the separation would be for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I, that I can't emphasize that enough because yeah. um, it's for reconciliation. It's to help. Yeah the person and help you. Yeah, that's
2: good. That's good. You had mentioned, uh, and then I'll let you off the hot seat after this. Uh, You had mentioned that um, you finally just um, decided to lay James at Jesus' feet. But at the same time, you were actively taking steps in separation. uh, And I'm sure trying to manage the kids and, you know, life and things. So how do we, obviously we need to trust the Lord. How does that kind of mesh with also taking the steps that we should take in trusting the Lord? Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: it does, because um, when you hear the phrase laid at Jesus' feet, it's like um, when you lay someone or something at Jesus' feet, it's like you lay it at his feet and then you go on about your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not what um, it was in my situation. I had to see okay, I need to be obedient to God. And so my part was I couldn't be staying with him, so I needed to separate. So that was the action. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized just by being in the Word of God, that was the key for me was being in the Word of God. I had to see for myself because I was getting all this different advice. I had to know for myself what God was telling me. So in doing that, I had to literally lay James at Jesus' feet by praying for him, having others, people pray for him, make sure I was faithful to mm-hmm. him, um, mm-hmm. leaving that door open for him to be able to come back yeah. um, and be reconciled. And, and I didn't do everything perfectly. Um, like yeah. she was saying, there's different sides of everything. And, um, but ultimately, once I understood what it meant to abide in Christ, um, that I needed to rest in Him and ask the Holy Spirit to help me. And even through struggles and doubts um, that I had and um, not doing things, um, I could have done several things differently along the way, but God blessed it, and, and I'm just very thankful for um, His goodness and how He, he uses our stories. And he our
2: does. He does. Amen. Amen. Well, I think uh, we actually have Joy up next in the video. Yeah, I think Joy's next.
4: I was five, I believe, or six, when I gave my life to the Lord. Definitely grew up as the preacher's kid, um, Pentecostal home, upbringing, very, very charismatic, Um, a lot of fun. But you learn how to kind of, quote, unquote, play church and not as much at times about the relationship as it was. This is just we we do church was kind of um, I think the thought growing up. Looking back, I'm very appreciative of the boundaries that I had growing up. Um, Definitely kept me safe, but there were also some internal struggles I was having that you know, it didn't matter the environment that I was in at that time. When I was young, probably seven, eight years old, that was the first time I recognized that there was an attraction to guys and there was an attraction to girls. And there's this wrestle in you that's like, okay, I know that this is wrong, but I don't know what to do with it. And I honestly think had I not been presented with an opportunity, I never would have acted on it. Um, But I was, and that started in high school, probably my junior year. I was outwardly living a, um, you know, FCA Bible club, you know, Christian life and internally struggling and behind closed doors, struggling. I went to college to play basketball and got into two more relationships um, within those first two years. And when I transferred schools, um, that was the time where I realized that there had to come a point where Jesus was bigger and more important to me than how I felt. And that summer, my dad was preaching at my grandfather's church, and he spoke about you know your issues and bringing those before the Lord, laying them on the altar. And that was the day, that was the moment where I said, Lord, I'm laying this down. And I need you, obviously, to work in my life, but I'm making a decision that I'm gonna lay this lifestyle down. And from then it became, the faith is my own. And from then it became, it's about relationship. And as that process was happening and I transferred schools, the Lord began to show me that there were strongholds and these these thoughts that I had in my mind about friendship and relationship and identity and gender that were lies. of it when you're an athlete and you're more masculine or you're that that stereotypical tomboy you think growing up like okay i'm unwanted i'm so much like them we're buddies you know and you don't feel that love and that attraction and things like that from them Then you go over into an environment especially in college where you're in a situation where a lot of girls are struggling with the same thing there's a lot of opportunity for relationship that was my story you know but god the lord showed me the woman of god he called me to be I don't have to be some super prissy woman. Liking certain, quote unquote, girly things is great. Liking more masculine things is fine. Um, That's how he created me. But walking um, in sexual purity was the standard that I was to uphold. And I think any time you come out of, whether it's an addiction or stronghold, a lifestyle, it's definitely a process. Becoming more and more like Christ takes time, but he's he's able. Um, I'm sitting here today, you know, knowing that he's able. Knowing what Christ has done for me, it motivates me. I want what I've been through to be for something for someone else. It's not just about me. My life's not about me, and it's about His glory and like being a model, a light, and a mentor to young women who Um, are in maybe in the same lifestyle that I experienced or maybe struggling in other ways. Just letting them know, hopefully through my life, even if I never have a direct conversation with them, that your story may not be mine, but if God can do something that miraculous in my life, then you better believe he can do whatever it is in your life. Why would you not want to serve someone that can set you free from like your deepest, hurts and wounds and challenges he can, and he will, because he's, he's a deliverer. That's his character. And so I think out of that, just knowing what he's done for me, not just on the cross, but what I've seen him do in transforming my heart, my life, and my mind, of course I want to live for him and please him with my life.
2: Yeah. Hey, um, you know, uh, the, the word bravery and courage is thrown around a lot on this topic. That right there is courage. Yeah, yeah. You you want to rebel, follow the gospel. Yeah. That's what rebellion is. Uh, so, so thank you, Joy. I um, appreciate that. Um, you um, said in there that you chose to follow truth instead of your feelings or things that you described as lies. Um, can you, I think that's something we all could choose to grow, or, you know, use to grow in. Are there some words that, or some practical pieces that you would maybe put in place that were helpful for you? Because that's, it sounds good. I want to follow the truth instead of my feelings, but that could be easier said than done. How, how, how would you speak to that?
4: Um, I think you just first have to acknowledge the fact that we're born into sin yeah. and, and an imperfect world, um, imperfect environments, and there's no shame, first of all, in that. Um, I think I first had to come to terms with that aspect. This isn't something that I chose, or I did choose the lifestyle, but the feelings that I had growing up, I did not decide on that. And so first coming to grips with the fact that we're born into sin. Once you recognize that there's something in my life that does not line up with the word of God, from that point forward, it's up to you. Um, I think, first of all, you have to cry out to God. You have to be honest about that brokenness and sin and be willing to say, Lord, here I am. Yeah. Um, I think the another big part is accountability. And I was the type of person, like I told you outwardly, that was living a certain lifestyle behind closed doors, living a different lifestyle. And I was not open with anyone about what I was you know, struggling with. And so being transparent with whatever you're dealing with is going to be crucial to you ever experiencing freedom. So it's not enough just to lay it at Jesus' feet. You have to have people around you that know that you're struggling or it's going to be really hard.
2: Jesus has designed it that way. Life is a team sport, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, What what advice would you give maybe to young men or women who are experiencing this? It's kind of the same struggle that you experienced. Um, It can be incredibly difficult what, what advice would you have for them
4: um I would well I think you can fall into two camps I think you can fall into a camp where you don't believe that it's sin um and to that person I would say um it is it is sin and the word is very clear about that so the person that recognizes it's sin um like I said you've got to reach out to someone that you trust that you know knows God is not just in the church, but someone that Mm. knows God has a relationship with him, you need to reach out. If you are currently in a relationship, in that type of relationship, you've got to sever that tie completely. This idea that we can just be friends or that we can coexist, and like it doesn't work at all. Um, Mm. And so I would say you need to sever that tie. But for sure, if you recognize that it's sin, you have to cry out to God You've mm-hmm. got to get accountability. Be open enough to be vulnerable with someone, mm-hmm. and stay with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good advice for all of us, I believe. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned uh, we saw your little your little picture there. Of, uh, I guarantee you when you're you're in the uh, swimming pool, they told you praise the Lord, Rachel. Hallelujah! They're, Put your hands right, up. Right? Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> uh, but you you had mentioned uh, <laughs> that they told you, um, or not that they told you, but you were playing church. Mm-hmm. As a kid, um, you want to describe more by what you mean by playing church and what are what are some signs or markers that we could ask of ourselves to see if maybe that's something that's going on in our lives as well? What does it mean to play church?
4: Um, I think I didn't recognize it till I was like middle high school and then went to college. How I think when you grow up, especially an African-American in, in a primarily black church um, you know, we'll hoop and holler, we'll yell, run around, you know, have on your Sunday best and, um, just have a good time at church doing church. Sure. And a lot of people that I grew up with, you know, you grew up as an organist or you're going to be a preacher or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you sing in the choir and you do all the church things. And then you leave the church doors and your life, I, I couldn't tell that, you know, Jesus, mm. like, that's what I mean by playing church. You come to a building, you're very religious about it. You serve in the church, you give your money to the church. But you have no relationship. Mm. And so I grew up, I felt like I grew up around a lot of people who we knew how to, quote unquote, do church very well mm. because we grew up in it. Mm. But there was no substance, there was no root, and there was no fruit. And you could yes. tell because a lot of people were living sexually immoral lives. And it's not just that lifestyle, let's be honest about right it. There yes. are lots of things that are no displeasing doubt. to God um, in that area okay. that people partake in, even in the church. Yes. And so, yeah.
2: Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, you know, your testimony involves one of those hot button issue topics and get really emotional when people talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we try, we can try to bring light and love to somebody uh, speaking the truth in love and, um, that sort of thing, but it's sometimes received as darkness and hate rather than light and love. Um, how do you, um, Joy, how do you, how do you maintain like um, compassionate friendships mm-hmm. that are also truthful without burning bridges or airing on one side? Of, that, that can be difficult to navigate, um, but you're in a, a position to navigate it well. Mm-hmm. Um, could you maybe help us do that well? <laughs>
4: um, yeah. Um. <laughs> I think, um, first of all, if you're going to have a conversation, I learned in college early on um, that slinging the Bible upside somebody's head doesn't work. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's not do that. Um, I think also acknowledging that all sin is sin. And um, I think you can make people feel like you're less than or worse than because of that. And that's not true. Um, I think that for me, I learned, first of all, I speak by my life. And secondly, I speak through my love. There's one judge, that's God. I'm not called to judge anybody. And I obviously don't have the right to judge anyone, I'm called to love. If the conversation is presented to me, I'm always going to be honest. But I've never felt comfortable in having that conversation with people apart from relationship. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing is I want anyone that I come in contact with and build relationships to know that I love them. I don't care about your sin. Mm -hmm. It's not my place to care in that way about your sin. Mm -hmm. right? I can speak the truth in love, but I have to know if it's without a relationship, I mean, that's that's really, really difficult mm-hmm. um, to come at someone apart from that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, first of all, you have to take inventory of your own life. Are you judging um, and thinking that love is me saying you're a sinner you're going to hell? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to be very, very caref- careful that you're looking at the speck in someone else's eye and not the log in your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can sense and feel that judgment, I feel like, immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so... My biggest thing has been, if people just know that, man, she's not going to judge me or she loves me for who I am, then the door will be open mm-hmm. in God's timing to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You will slam the door shut if your idea of love is, I'm just going to pound you across the head with this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that it's, um, man, there's so much in there, Joy. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> saying, t- taking write some of that down. Uh, <laughs> Um, But you're saying, I mean, obviously, um, you were talking about calling sin, sin. But there needs to be a relational bridge that can carry that weight. You need to have invested in someone. And um, we're not self-righteous people approaching sinful people. No, we're one sinner approaching another sinner. And Jesus is the Savior. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Really good. Really good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really appreciate that. Um, And... uh, Last but not least, we have Nancy Crane. Nancy Crane is up next.
5: I grew up in the church. I cannot even remember when I accepted Christ. So when Charlie and I met and started dating, him being an unbeliever and me being a believer, I I knew that wasn't right. But that didn't stop me from continuing on. I felt God speak to me about it. And I said, oh Lord, you know, you bring me by a believer. And hey, you know, I, I'll take a look, no problem. You, you just bring one by next week or two, okay? And um, well, he didn't, and I married this unbeliever. I married in rebellion, it was sin, there's no doubt. I wanna make a, a clear note though, that Charlie didn't sin. He was an unbeliever and he wasn't told not to marry a believer. We had three children and were married for 13 years before I was really convicted of that sin and confessed it. And asked God to wash me clean. And then in the next breath, Lord, will you bless our marriage? I didn't know how to be a good wife. I didn't know how to be a good mom. I didn't know how to delight in our children, how to discipline them. I wasn't great at respecting my husband. I didn't know what to do and God took me by the hand and led me and taught me. Charlie had applied for a job overseas. We had been moving every year and a half of our married life pretty much. And I was tired of it. I was sick and tired of it. I was tired of, of, of making new friends, all that sort of thing. I like to be rooted. I like to be deeply rooted. I was really mad at Charlie. And I felt God speak to me and say, if you are mad about having to move, you talk with me. And so I did. I I told him, I'm really mad. This is really hard, the life I was leading. And if I had to move again, he had better go before me. He had better be with me and go before me. And of course he did, because he promises he'll do that. I can tell you, I have a legacy of years and years of God going before me and preparing a place a home a community a church in all these places we lived. Well, throughout the years I prayed for Charlie's salvation. And I can remember God checking me on my motivation sometimes. I remember I felt God saying to me, "Do you just want to have Charlie go to church with you and put his arm around you?" And I thought, well, yeah, is there anything so wrong about that? I mean, yeah. And I felt strongly the Lord saying, well, yes, that's not an okay motivation to be praying for his salvation. And so I I um, started praying, Lord, even if my husband, my dear husband, Charlie, would never put his arm around me in church, Lord, would you open his eyes, would you reveal your kindness to him that he might call you Lord and Savior. During this time Charlie wasn't antagonistic about my faith. Um, He didn't go to church with us but he would read Bible stories to the kids at night. He made sure the kids knew that when church came around that they were going to church with me. Um, But he had no comprehension of God, no understanding whatsoever. Um, What was deepest in my heart to talk about couldn't comprehend. We were in bed one night uh, and Charlie said to me, he said, you know, Nancy, what's what's the most important thing to you? I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I said, well, God. And he said, well, yeah. And because of that, I've started investigating a bit about God. And he said, I've been looking online. And I thought, oh, did you let him look there? We talked a bit about about the Lord, about God, what, um, and um, he came to accept Christ that night. up. I told the children about how Charlie accepted Christ. I was like, whoa! And I called up my friends and said, I slept with a new man last night. And it was, it was such a celebration. I, I couldn't believe that God would meet my husband in a way that he could be met. See, talking you and me, I mean, that would be uncomfortable. He'd put up a wall, but he could look online. And our God met him that way. When Charlie became a believer, we didn't have an instant change overnight. It was years. God worked on us, and He continues to work on us. I mean, that was 20 years ago, and the Lord has brought us a long ways. I have learned and and know that God not only forgives us, but He redeems us. There's a sweetness in Charlie and my marriage that isn't a result from my work or Charlie's work. It is a result of what God has done in us. When you see my dear husband in church putting his arm around me, that is God's goodness, a gift.
2: Amen, amen, yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us, Nancy. Um, You you mentioned um, you laid kind of a a, a Christian uh, truth bomb in there that it was sin to date an unbeliever. Uh, (laughs) uh, And, you know, there may have been some gasps uh, when we heard that. Um, So um, talk about that a little bit. Why should Christians not date, let alone marry, non-christians and i'll i'll kind of roll this into the to the next question Were there's some consequences to that that you had to work through yeah
5: um i gotta have notes these, yeah, i'm not me too. as smart it's as these other ladies yeah. Yeah. okay yeah <laughs> you and me terry um second corinthians 6 14 says do not be unequally yoked and essentially what what does a believer have with a non-believer and um let me just tell you some things. There's no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, to his leading. There just, there isn't. Um, the things of God.
2: Um, you mean in the life of the unbeliever? In the, in the life yes, of the sure, unbeliever. Sure.
5: The things of God that, that, um, that we value, that we grow to value more as we walk with the Lord, those things like um, glorifying God, walking with him, worshiping him, delighting in him, there's no comprehension of it. It means nothing to an unbeliever. Um, it's not just a matter of having different interests. Like, I like the Bible and he likes basketball or something, you know, like that. It's, the believer has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the unbeliever cannot comprehend that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and to not date? I mean... If John and Sally are dating, and Sally knows John's not a believer, and this is not a person she should marry, dating's not going to make it easier for her to say no to him later. Uh, you know, yeah. don't go down <laughs> that road. Don't waste the time. Don't waste his time and your time. Um, it's not going to be easier down the road to say no to that person. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you know, hey, this is not a person to be dating, mm-hmm. uh, that you're not going to be marrying him. Say no right then. Yeah. And I, I was looking for scriptures. There's one in second... No, I've got to go to my scripture. Hold on just a second. Thank you. I need that one. <laughs> um, oh, no, Give <laughs> me just a second here. One, two, three, four. Can't find it. Okay. There is a scripture. It's in Timothy <laughs> 3. So I don't know if it's first or second Timothy. Three. And it talks about... Um, in the latter days, that there will be those who look like they know the Lord
2: mm-hmm.
5: but really don't know his power at all.
2: They're playing church, right? Joanne? That's yeah, it, playing yeah.
5: church. So, okay, they look like they're a believer. Uh huh. When you find, If you find out that they aren't, end it. Yeah, so I want to throw that one. <laughs> in this. End that relationship. Yeah. yeah, we believers shouldn't be flirting with sin.
2: Amen. Pass the plates. Let's go. <laughs> you, okay. you, uh, you said that Charlie was investigating Jesus kind of on the Internet and stuff. But because he he asked you, what's the most important thing to you? And you said, God, and he kind of knew that. He said, well, that's my motivation to investigate. Or do you think there was anything specifically that he saw in you that... Ca- about your relationship with Jesus that caused him to investigate like that? <laughs> uh,
5: <laughs> it, it, First Peter 3. I got that one. First Peter 3, right here, 1 to 6. Yeah, write it down, folks, if, you, if you're in my situation or in where I was. Um, it talks about having a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, if you've spent much time with you, me, you know I haven't achieved that yet. Um, but I prayed. I, when I read that, it's like, Lord, you, you know I haven't got that. You scratch the surface here, and it's not quiet there. And uh, there's not a, yeah. Anyway, so he's still working on that one. Yes. Yeah, I started yeah. praying for it. And it says you know, that we don't need to be um, beating them overhead with the Bible. I, 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 did, I knew it wasn't my role to preach to him. And I didn't preach to him. But then it goes on to say that by your behavior, they'll come to know the Lord Mm -hmm. well. You know, you ask the man and he can tell you whether or not. It it didn't seem to come. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think I was real successful in that one either. But there is one of the last verses there. It says, um, "If you," it's talking about if you will value your husband, if you will submit to him, if you will do these things, that you will be like Sarah. And it goes on to say, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And that was fascinating to me. Do not give way to fear. And I held on to that. Yeah. Lord, I can trust you. Where, where I might be fearful of what, whatever might be in my future, Lord, you are here with me. I can trust that. And, yeah. and I don't have to give way
2: to yeah. fear. So in spite of your wrong decisions with the unbeliever... The Lord was gracious to you. We shouldn't take that for granted, but he was gracious to you. Um, yeah, amen. Yeah. What, what would you say is the number one thing, Nancy? This is the last question for you. Um, that the Lord has taught you about himself through this oh, journey.
5: Terry, that his ways are right. His, mm-hmm. his ways are right. You know, it whether it says don't marry, you know, don't be unequally yoked, or whether it says be, you know, be hospitable, be, be I a loving neighbor, whether it happens to be submit to your husband or respect your wife, God's ways are right. And it's not that he tells us to do these things because it's like, a, oh, dig that hole and then fill it in. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't do this as mundane exercise. He says it for our good yeah. because he loves us. And so that's the second thing Amen. is that I know that God loves me.
4: Yeah. Amen. You know,
5: He he never left me. I mean, it didn't matter what I did. He never left me. Yeah. And he went before me. He he taught me. He encouraged me. He walked beside me. And he gave me what I did not deserve and did not earn.
2: Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Lord's good. He's good. Yeah. You guys grateful to the Lord for these ladies today? Yeah. Y'all can be dismissed. Thank you.
1: Thank you.